Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are into the first round of basketball's playoffs, and it has been incredibly, incredibly enjoyable. Some series may be all but done, the <laughs> Toronto Raptors, and others are just getting more intense. Bet online is the place to stop for all of your bets, props, odds, wagers, gambles, plays, and any and everything gambling during the basketball playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is April 26th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. We appreciate you stopping in, however, and whenever it is, you may be listening. I've got a really fun topic to talk about later on in the show, and it is about the royal ass kicking that the Dallas Mavericks have put on the Utah Jazz. Because last week I came on this here fine podcast, and I eulogized and waxed poetically about the Dallas Mavericks and how for our investment in the stakes and storylines We really missed out on an opportunity for Luka Doncic to emerge into the next great star of a generation. Because he's already going to be that. He is the face of the generation of players drafted between 2017 and 2022. Luka Doncic is the best player in that generation. He's going to win MVPs once he enters his physical prime between 26 and 27, as long as he stays healthy. And... The Luka Zion or Luka Jaw or whatever it ends up being, that generation is going to be the generation in the NBA that follows Giannis and Jokic and Embiid and Devin Booker and Jason Tatum, who's kind of a tweener, but, you know, is kind of in between both generations and Donovan Mitchell and all these guys right now who are getting to watch in their physical primes in the playoffs this year. We'll talk about that in a second because I'm really, really now invested in this Dallas Mavericks team. We begin, though, by talking briefly about the Brooklyn Nets. Actually, before we go to the Brooklyn Nets, just quickly, real quick here. Philadelphia, why are you the way that you are? Why are you the way that you are? Because I came here on Monday and talked about how the 76ers and Raptors series should have just simply ended as soon as Joel Embiid hit that buzzer beater on Wednesday, and all this was doing was causing five more days of headache for the Philadelphia 76ers. 
Well, lo and behold, the Toronto Raptors whooped ass on Philadelphia in Game 5. Philadelphia had, as a team, statistically shot 38% from the field and 27% from three, which is the exact same statistics I am shitting on Kevin Durant for on Monday's NBA Monday podcast. So yeah, Philadelphia played really bad. Joel Embiid had 20 and 11, shot 0 for 4 from three. Tobias Harris shot 6 for 16 and took the most shots on the team, which is never a great answer when Tobias Harris is taking the most shots on the team. Nobody other than Embiid had more than 20 points. The Sixers just played like shit. And I hate that Philadelphia is like this. Why must Philadelphia always be like this? And by the way, our buddy Precious Achua, he had 17 and 7. Shot 7 for 7 from the 2-point range. He shot 1 for 5 from 3, but 7 for 7 from the 2-point range. Shout out to our beloved Precious Achua. Fantastic job by you, good sir. In fact, we're going to play the clip that we made last week to mock the Toronto Raptors again here this week. Welcome back to the action here on the Take It Easy podcast the network. My name is Kyle Ledbetter and we continue our coverage of the 2022 NBA playoffs. Toronto Raptors have the ball here. Precious Achua is going to inbound the ball to Precious Achua here. The Raptors are going with a four Precious Achua lineup here. Four Achuas, one Van Fleet. Achua rotates the ball over to Achua. The Toronto Raptors won 48 games this regular season in the NBA. They were one of the surprise darlings of the NBA with people like myself saying they would be a tanking team at the start of the season. Achua swings the ball to Van Fleet. Three-pointer on the way. Van Fleet, it is no good. And now the Achuas go back on defense. Great matchup here with Achua on Tyrese Maxey. We'll see how that works out. 76ers going with a lineup of Maxey and James Harden and Joel Embiid. Do we know two other players on the Philadelphia 76ers? They're not really important, but the Philadelphia 76ers don't have Matisse Thybul for this game because, again, Matisse Thybul, anti-vaxxer, not available for play here. And the Toronto Raptors, back to them, I mean, just a scrappy, hard-fought team. You know, smart basketball people were saying that despite the fact the team has seven precious Achuas on their roster, that they might be a sneaky out in the first round. Don't be surprised if Toronto wins this first round matchup and uh, Achua will take the ball up the court the other way. Toronto, I mean, they are just a scrappy, crazy bunch. And Nick Nurse, just an amazing basketball coach. Just such a well-run organization. Great fundamental basketball they play. They're a team without egos. They have no stars. And how can you have a star when 62% of your roster is Precious Achua's? Team rotates the ball. Achua over to Van Fleet. Van Fleet takes a step back in the corner, puts up a shot, and no good. Going back the other way for Philadelphia. It's just been an incredible run for this Toronto team. I mean, I we can't get enough of this Toronto team with all the talk of the season about the anti-vax Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76er drama. I mean, just a good wholehearted basketball team here for the Toronto Raptors as they get the ball inside to Maxi. Maxi lays it up and in for a basket for Philadelphia. And uh, they are going to stick with the lineup here. Achua is going to get the ball over to Precious Achua in the corner. 
Toronto Raptors were better than the Chicago Bulls this year. And the Chicago Bulls were the one seed for four months of the NBA season. And and just so far ahead of expectations. I mean, credit to Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is just a phenomenal basketball coach, I tell you what. And uh, they're just playing so great right now. Shot missed by Van Fleet going back the other way here for Philadelphia. It's interesting to see how they match up here because obviously you have Joel Embiid. And here we go. Embiid takes the ball down inside, moves past Achua, and a slam dunk by Joel Embiid. A big finish there getting past Achua. Embiid now ups his total on the game to a subtle 42 points. And the 76ers extend their lead over Toronto to 27 points. On the verge of a sweep here in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Timeout called by Nick Nurse with his team down by 27. Might be time for him to bust out the big guns here on the verge of elimination. He might be going to the five precious Achua lineup here. So now, let's transition to talking about the Brooklyn Nets because Brooklyn Nets are gone and we talked about Kevin Durant on NBA Monday a whole lot and we've done the dissection of that and the Kevin Durant psychology and how fascinating it is that this is the worst playoff series of Kevin Durant's basketball career which was the whole reason that the Brooklyn Nets were still picked to win in the first place because if not yeah Brooklyn probably misses the playoffs as a team led by Kyrie Irving and their second best player is Nick Claxton. So now let's talk about this from the Brooklyn standpoint. One of the things that's most interesting about Brooklyn is that it might be actually the most interesting thing other than just Kevin Durant as a whole, but Brooklyn is essentially run by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. In the modern NBA with salary cap structures, Every single team can pay every single player the same. This is the system that owners wanted to create in order to suppress wages and maximize profits. And for them, in a pro-management standpoint, one of the unintended consequences is player empowerment. Is that players hold power as a decision about who they're going to play for. Because every team can essentially offer the same dollar value. And so every single team is equal in the money sense for any of these star players because all of them are going to make a max. You know, Russell Westbrook made more than Kevin Durant this last season because essentially everyone makes the max and it's a way of suppressing wages and it's a system that's beneficial for maximizing profits of these leagues, which is the first and foremost priority of every single one of these leagues in a post-Jerry Jones world of the 1990s and 2000s and really just the movement of America as a whole where sports leagues each or sports teams each become individual corporations and their goals are to maximize shareholder profits. Okay. So Brooklyn in order to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving during the summer of 2019 conceded all of the power in the organization to Durant and to Irving. Durant and Irving don't make all of the personnel decisions. They do make the important personnel decisions. And they make decisions about the day-to-day operations of the team just because they get the power to, say, in the case of Kyrie Irving, get a giant spending budget outside of his salary to go buy planes 
used to for you know team functions which you can put in air quotes but they basically give Kyrie Irving a, a company credit card and let him go out and spend stuff and so this is a really interesting and that's one really shitty example it's more so like the same way Kawhi Leonard was able to show up late to practices in 2019 because he was commuting from San Diego to Los Angeles and you have the power because you are in essence larger than the organization Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving make the Brooklyn Nets relevant in a way that they could not achieve even with the Russian oligarch, which is essentially a Russian billionaire, who traded all of their draft picks for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Darren Williams and Joe Johnson and got bounced in the second round. Even that team is not as relevant as this Brooklyn Nets team is. For better or for worse, the Brooklyn Nets are incredible content, and that's because Kevin Durant for the past 10 years, has been the second best player in all of basketball and behind LeBron James, the most powerful man in the sport. Steph Curry right there, but as soon as Kevin Durant joined the Golden State Warriors, it was Kevin Durant and then Steph Curry. Kevin Durant is the second greatest basketball player of my lifetime, and that includes Kobe Bryant, and Kevin Durant is in this incredible atmosphere where he is relevant on every single thing that he does, and he built his quote-unquote super team with a bunch of players who you love to hate. And because you love to hate Kyrie Irving, and you love to hate James Harden, and you love to hate Kevin Durant, for all of the wrong reasons, but because the internet just loves to hate these guys, they become relevant in the same way the Miami Heat were relevant during the Big Three era, the same way the Warriors were relevant when they were a super team. You hate the players, and so you grow to hate the team, and that drives media attention to them. And for the NBA, viewership is viewership. Now, their their bigger problem is that people weren't watching, but the point still stands. Brooklyn has a spectacular flame out, and people point to that as validation for the Brooklyn Net model failing. Which is to say, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving having the power within the organization fails. The same way people point to LeBron being general manager of the Lakers and saying that fails. And to a certain extent, Kevin Durant is the general manager of Brooklyn. Although Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving inherited the situation together, and Brooklyn kind of agreed, yeah, we should probably trade all of our draft picks to get James Harden. And when James Harden got traded... It was because Kevin Durant signed off on the decision. Kevin Durant had kind of been exasperated. I mean, reporting now says, according to The Athletic, Kevin Durant was exasperated by the situation with himself and James Harden. He was amazed at James Harden showing up overweight to this camp. The Kyrie Irving stuff kind of fell out of love with Harden and Kyrie just because Harden was like, what is happening here? And so when Harden wanted to go to Philadelphia, Kevin Durant was like, yeah, I get it. I'm cool with it. And then they bring in Ben Simmons, which is a whole nother can of worms this year that everyone has had opinions on it. Everyone's opinions feel like they're wrong in some capacity because there are no right answers because there's just an absence of information around Ben Simmons. If Ben Simmons had said back when he was traded to the Brooklyn Nets, I'm going to be out for the entire season we would not be having this Ben Simmons conversation. The fact that it was like, Simmons is a week away. Simmons is two weeks away. Three weeks away. He's going to play game four. Now he's not going to play game four. All of it was just a rough look on Ben Simmons because it kept staying in the news cycle. 
and people already wanted to find a reason to hate Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons collapsed in a playoff game last year and it was incredibly, incredibly funny. Like all of it's the easiest thing to point to, which is a player shrunk at the end of a game and then forced his way out of the place that he played. It is the stereotypical if you hate basketball players. If you're in the Skip Bayless mold of hating basketball players, it is the perfect reason to hate Ben Simmons. And all of these players generate hate, and all of these people generate storylines for the team. So anyways, where is Brooklyn now that we've assembled all of that? The model of Brooklyn is still Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's a free agent at the end of the year. Kyrie Irving's going to get an extension because as much as Brooklyn can't stand the headache... They very much care about being relevant because the alternative is you lose Kyrie Irving for nothing. You're left with Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. And if Kevin Durant leaves, which he can't right now because Kevin Durant's under contract for a little bit. If you leave, if he leaves that situation, Brooklyn loses all of their relevance. And that's a really shitty situation for them to find themselves in because as much as they hate all the headaches, they are still going to continue. And this is a really interesting thing because Kevin Durant's under contract. He got his giant deal at the end. Kevin Durant's under contract through his age 37 season. Okay, Kevin Durant can ask out whenever he wants and he can leave. Okay, all of that is still in place. This was the situation Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving want to be in. It gives them the best chance to win a championship into their 30s. Maybe not the best for Kevin Durant, because Kevin Durant can go to any team and win. Like, if he went to Dallas tomorrow, it would be a better situation. But it's the decision Kevin Durant wants to be in, because Kevin Durant doesn't really... I mean, from what we can tell, Kevin Durant doesn't value championships above all else anymore. He would have stayed in Golden State if that were the case. And so being in Brooklyn is a place of contentment where he is into his 30s. And he got the championships and realized it wasn't all worth it because he was still miserable. And 2019 was just an awful season for his mental health. And he tears his Achilles. And I don't know what kind of headspace and development of character Kevin Durant went through between 2019 and 2020. I'm just so fascinated by it. Ever since I read the Ethan Strauss book at the very beginning of the pandemic two years ago about the victory machine and the Golden State Warriors, I've been so goddamn fascinated by Kevin Durant's psychology. If you've been listening to this podcast for years, you know me and Cam from DSD always talk about Kevin Durant's psychology because it's just so damn fascinating. And so Kevin Durant's still going to run the Nets. Kyrie Irving's still going to be back next year unless he has a falling out with Kevin Durant. Because if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving want to be in Brooklyn, Brooklyn shall oblige. Because they get Kevin Durant for seven years. That's the goal of every single basketball team. And you concede the power to them because that's what you sign up for. As soon as you don't sign up for it anymore is the moment when you realize, A, you don't have the power anymore, or B, you decide to let Kyrie Irving go, piss off Kevin Durant, go to the bottom of the lottery, etc. They're not going to do that. Okay, they're going to keep Kevin Durant, they're going to keep Kyrie Irving, because of course you do that. No matter how terrible your first round exit is, you never, ever let go of Kevin Durant. Ever. Ever let go of Kevin Durant. Okay. Steve Nash is going to stay. Which is the easy fall guy we do all the time. If the general manager can't move, if the players can't move, you fire the coach. 
Kevin Durant hasn't lost love for Steve Nash yet. Because people forget Steve Nash got to jump the line to head coach because he was Kevin Durant's personal coach with the Golden State Warriors in 2017, 2018, and 2019. I actually watched a Kevin Durant documentary that he put out with his production company, which is propaganda-y, but it was just, here is Kevin Durant, here's a a little 40-minute snippet into the life of Kevin Durant during the first Warriors championship season. It was during 2017, and he puts videos of him working out with Steve Nash, and Steve Nash interviews for this documentary produced by Kevin Durant's production company. It was there beforehand that Kevin Durant is homies with Steve Nash, and by the way, he hasn't fallen out of love with Steve Nash yet. He's still cool with him as the head coach. So it's just a run-it-back situation, which is the best they can do, given the circumstances. And it's not as bad as the Lakers situation, which is the easy comp because LeBron and Kevin Durant have been adjoined at the hip for like 15 years in the NBA. Not quite 15 years, let's say 12 years. They they played against each other in the finals in 2012. So let's say since 2012, Kevin Durant and LeBron James are adjoined at the hip. It's easy to make that comparison, and it's easy to point to Kevin Durant faltering. I don't know why Kevin Durant had the worst playoff series of his basketball career personally because I don't know Kevin Durant and because I've been watching sports enough to realize that what we appear as the conventional wisdom answer is overwhelmingly wrong the Boston defense played something into it the part that I push back on is the Boston defense was the only reason or the overwhelming reason that Kevin Durant played so poorly it's a factor I just hate that everyone is going to the Kevin Durant, or I'm sorry, Boston Celtics incredible defense shuts down Kevin Durant for the first time in 10 years. There's something more to it that we don't know. Kevin Durant, no singular defense can make Kevin Durant have the worst playoff series in 11 years, like we talked about on yesterday's podcast. It's just simply not possible that the Boston Celtics are just so overwhelmingly better than everyone else. It's not that. They're great defense. Boston is not the, even the best defense of the 2022 NBA season. I think they finished second behind it's either Phoenix or Golden State. I can't remember who it was now, but the point still stands. Like Boston was barely the best defense. It was disputed whether they were the best defense in the NBA this year. So there's something more there. And from a Brooklyn standpoint, it's just run it back and try again next year. You get Ben Simmons back. You get Joe Harris back. Sure, not everyone's going to be healthy as you go down the stretch, and maybe you want to upgrade from Joe Harris just to spice things up a little bit. The core of the team is going to be the same, and the core of the team should be the same because as long as you have Kevin Durant and as long as you have Kyrie Irving and as long as you have a third player as competent as Ben Simmons playing, you're going to be fine. You might not win a championship. It gives you a better chance than any alternative to win a championship. It's just a disappointing, weird season for the Brooklyn Nets. They got out of James Harden when they had the chance, and Kevin Durant blew up in the playoffs and blew up in a bad way because usually Kevin Durant blowing up in the playoffs is, is guaranteed making the finals on every single team that he plays. And when he doesn't make the finals, it's because he's losing to the Bucks with one foot on the line in what was basically the NBA Finals of 2021. So that's an interesting place that the Nets find themselves in. You run it back again, you try again, pretty much with the same core of the team. 
if you want to upgrade from Kyrie Irving, gotta get the A-OK from Kevin Durant. That would require him betraying his friend and guy he wanted to play with for the next five years. And I don't know if Kevin Durant picked the right teammate, but he sure as hell picked a pretty good one. Kyrie Irving was kind of good when they were actually trying to win, which seemed like after the first two games it all kind of fell apart because Kevin Durant didn't have much left. Just a really weird situation they found themselves in. They'll run it back again next year, though. Same guys, same core of the team. As long as you have Kevin Durant, you have a chance of winning a championship. Okay, so I'm really, really excited to talk about this here. I'm really freaking excited to talk about this. Because last week on Tuesday, which I don't know if Reddit made it popular or what it was because I reposted it to a couple subreddits and the NBA Reddit. Like, I don't know what it was, but that podcast popped off last week talking about the the Dallas Mavericks and the Luka Doncic generation and all of that stuff that we did last week. It really was popular. And the thing that I found super interesting is I had conceded that the Dallas Mavericks were going to lose. I inferred that the Luka Doncic injury was worse than we were led to believe because why would Luka not play in these basketball games if his injury wasn't as bad as we thought it was? So this seemed like a really, really bad injury. And low and fucking behold, the Utah Jazz did it again. And I laughed when they lost one game to Dallas. The same way I talked about the 76ers, why are you the way that you are? In just making the series keep going on and on and on. When you could have, again, like I said, they should have just ended the series last Wednesday. Why must you do this, Philadelphia? The same way with Utah, why must you be the way that you are? Because I've been making jokes for four years now that the Utah Jazz simply exist to disappoint you. If you ever think, the same thing I say with the Las Vegas Raiders, if you ever think the Raiders are good, they are not. If you ever think the Utah Jazz are legit, they are not. The line is long of teams who have knocked off, and players who have knocked off the Utah Jazz. And it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder because the Utah Jazz with Gordon Hayward, the last year of Gordon Hayward back in 2017, they won a first round series against the Clippers. And it was a weird, shocking victory with Gordon Hayward leading them, and the Clippers choked a little bit. And then they got to the second round, and they got smoked by the first Kevin Durant Warriors team. Just first time they'd ever played, just absolutely pummeled. And then Rudy Gobert entered his prime, and Gordon Hayward left in free agency. And when Gordon Hayward left in free agency, literally two months later, the Utah Jazz drafted Donovan Mitchell. I'm sorry, wait, no, the draft is in reverse. Literally a month before they drafted Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell went into the Gordon Hayward role, and his first season in the NBA averaged 21 points a game, should have won Rookie of the Year over Ben Simmons. I still own his rookie jacket. It's really cool. I really like having that in my closet. So they win the they win slightly fewer games. But they go 
back to the playoffs. They play Oklahoma City in the first round. This is 2018, by the way. So this is right before the Paul George sent home season. So they get to play OKC in the first round of the playoffs. It was a 4-5 matchup. And they beat Oklahoma City with Donovan Mitchell dunking over. I can't remember who it was, but there's a famous moment where Donovan Mitchell dunks over someone. It was really cool. And they get back to the exact same spot as a surprise team that knocked off the Russell Westbrook, Paul George, OKC team. They were a shocking team. OKC blew the series and they win in six games because Oklahoma City kind of choked a little bit. But also... This was when they had Ricky Rubio, and it was a and Donovan Mitchell was doing awesome, and they still had I think like I don't know Derek Favors I guess was still there at that point. But anyways, they basically just plug in Donovan Mitchell for Gordon Hayward, which Gordon Hayward made one All Star team with Utah, so Gordon Hayward's kind of like a tier four star in the NBA. Like he kind of sometimes made the All Star team, kind of sometimes didn't. He's actually been super valuable both on Boston and Charlotte. When you look at the team's plus minuses with and without Gordon Hayward on the floor, Gordon Hayward's actually a surprisingly valuable basketball player, which I guess he was an All Star one time. So like it makes sense a little bit. And he was the premier free agent of a really weak free agent class and he signed with Boston and, you know, Utah got kind of mad about that. But they plugged in Donovan Mitchell and were basically the same team. That was four full years ago. And Utah since then was fifth, fifth, sixth in the bubble season, which I don't think counts kind of the same because they're kind of just in the same middle of the pack. They were the one seed in 2021 and they ended up losing in 2021 to the Clippers infamously last year where I just laughed their ass out of the room because people forget that it was a 2-2 series and Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL in game four okay so you take away Kawhi Leonard from the Clippers the Clippers are basically a seven seed Utah while no one thinks they're truly the one seed they just had a really good year from Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson and Rudy Gobert won his third defensive player of the year. He's still in his prime. Donovan Mitchell's a perennial all-star, tier three star. They have two all-star caliber players, barely top 15 in the NBA for either of them. You can debate the merits of both of them as top 15 players in the NBA. Okay, cool. They're good enough to be a middle-of-the-road team in the Western Conference. Okay, they win a lot of games in the regular season. They get the number one seed. And... People forget, Game 3 blow a 25-point lead to the Clippers. Game 6, Terrence Mann drops 40 on the Jazz. And the people who beat the Jazz just get increasingly more stupid. Because it's 2017. Okay, they beat the Clippers. That's cool. Okay, Kevin Durant obliterated them. No shame in that. You lose to Kevin Durant, that's fine. First Donovan Mitchell season. Rockets. Okay, no shame in that. It's the year that the Rockets were the number one seed. They kicked ass that year. They should have beat the Warriors in the conference finals. James Harden's MVP season. No shame in losing to the Rockets. Then you go to 2019. It's a slightly worse version of the Rockets. You're still playing the Houston Rockets in the playoffs. It's still James Harden, and also the Rockets get 
immediately bounced in the next round and you didn't really stand a chance against them. Okay, that kind of sucks, but your team just, you know, was a fifth seed in the West. So it just increasingly gets weirder and weirder. It was still James Harden doing it to you, but, you know, okay. It's a lesser version of James Harden. 2020, well, now it's Jamal Murray because Jamal Murray put up two 50-point games in the bubble against the Utah Jazz. So it's like, okay, we got bounced by Kevin Durant, James Harden, James Harden again, Jamal Murray, more disappointing, probably could have beat Jamal Murray. Now we're the number one seed, Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann bounced your ass from the playoffs. And you know what happened in 2022? It was fucking Jalen Brunson. Fucking Jalen Brunson did it to them. It just gets increasingly stupider. Because I was saying even in 2018, if you think the Jazz are good, the Jazz are not. I love Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's one of my favorite basketball players in the NBA. He's his generation's Carmelo Anthony. And I love that he's got he does fun dunks and he leans into being Spider-Man and he's just a likable guy. Just a really, really likable guy. By the way, we didn't even throw in the mix there. Oh yeah, remember? Utah was also the COVID team. Rudy Gobert was the one who unofficially shut down the NBA. Remember that happened? Donovan Mitchell got COVID. This is the very beginning where he had to do the ten, the two-week isolation and we were afraid that he was going to die and all that stuff. So it goes from Curry, Harden, Harden, Pandemic, Jamal Murray, Terrence Mann, Jalen Brunson. You're just getting bound. And, and the reason that started to happen is because people figured out that you can switch Rudy Gobert off and he basically gets defended off the floor in the playoffs. Because as great as Rudy Gobert is as a rim protector, he struggles to guard the perimeter. And in this series, Donovan Mitchell got cooked by Jalen Brunson. Donovan Mitchell's defense faltered. And they tried their best. They had Ricky Rubio. Then they traded for Mike Conley as an upgrade from Rubio to him. They brought in Bogdanovich. They brought in Royce O'Neal and developed him. Jordan Clarkson was traded for. They've done their best to alternate players in and out in these situations. They've tried their best to change the roster around, and as long as it's those two players, they are stuck in neutral. And you know who gets to benefit from that? All of us. Because you know who's the best player in that series that I originally said was Donovan Mitchell and a bunch of Bogdanoviches? Luka Doncic. And like I said last week, we got to miss out on the opportunity for Luka to make a championship run at age 23 years old that makes us all start to invest the way, like not right away, but the way that LeBron made a championship run in 2007. Kevin Durant made a championship run in 2012. He got to have a deep playoff run that got us invested in the stakes and storylines of a 21-year-old LeBron James, 22-year-old Kevin Durant, 23-year-old Luka Doncic, Giannis was 24 when he won his first MVP and was within two games of going to the finals before Kawhi Leonard swiped his heart. Those are the faces of their generations. And Luka is the face of his generation. 
and one deep playoff run will give everyone the chance to invest in what the NBA is going to be four or five years from now. What is the NBA going to look like down the road? And we might get that with Luka Doncic. We might get it with Ja Morant. We might get both of them meeting in the conference finals. The two babies of their generation guaranteeing a spot in the NBA finals in what I say is the Luka Zion generation and I'm starting to realize might be the Luka Ja generation. By the way, why the bleep are we giving Ja Morant most improved player? Ja Morant is his generation's greatest superstar. He was the number two pick in the draft and one rookie of the year. Like, no shit Ja Morant is going to develop as a star. He's absolutely fucking incredible. Like, of course, I'm glad he gave it to Desmond Bain. I'm glad he gave the award to Desmond Bain because we don't got to give Ja Morant the most improved player award. Give it to, I don't know who else was nominated for it. Give it to anyone other than Ja Morant, dude. Like, give it to, to what did they do? Devontae Graham one year? Like, that's fine. Give it to those guys. Don't give it to Ja Morant. I'm glad he gave it to Desmond Bain because that award should be for guys like Desmond Bain, not. Uh, who else was it? DeJounte Murray? That's a great dude to give the award to. Darius Garland? Absolutely. Desmond Bain is awesome too. I'm glad he gave Desmond Bain the trophy because John Morant don't need a most improved player award. He's going to be his generation's... He's going to be an MVP. Like Giannis, I understand giving him the most improved player award because Giannis was a massive developmental project, the likes of which we've never seen in the history of the NBA. Giving it to John Morant is dumb. Because we know, we, I mean, like, ba- people who watch basketball know John Morant is going to be his generation's great star. And by the way, we might get a Memphis versus Dallas conference finals. Because the other thing that happened besides the Utah Jazz being the Utah Jazz and allowing Luka to get healthy enough to play and actually try and win the series, the Phoenix Suns got hurt. Phoenix Suns need help. Phoenix Suns are vulnerable without Devin Booker. And like we talked about last week, it's a four to six week injury for Devin Booker to start feeling like himself again. He might play before then. It's a four to six week injury that Devin Booker is working with. And with all the science behind it, maybe they shorten it. They really need help. Dallas can knock them out of the playoffs. In the same way last year that I joked about Tim Hardaway being the second best player on the Dallas Mavericks, that's now Jalen Brunson. Tim Hardaway got hurt, file in Jalen Brunson, volume score can give you 24, I think he's averaging like 27 on volume shooting. Just a volume shooter plugged next to Luka Doncic who's going to take most of the shots for your offense. By the way, if you want to know the game 5 stats for the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, 22 shots. Jalen Brunson, 20 shots. The next closest person was 11 with Dorian Finney-Smith. The entire rest of the team, and again, this is a reminder that Luka and company sat at the end of the game. The rest of the team took 31 shots. 31 shots. 22 from Luka, 20 from Jalen Brunson. They, and by the way, Luka, 12 free throws. Brunson, 5 free throws. The rest of the team, 4 free throw attempts. Just let the entire offense run through Luka Doncic and give him a volume scorer as a second option. It's not the most ideal option. Luka Doncic is so good that it's all you need to make a deep playoff run is just basic competence. 
Tim Hardaway Jr. is hurt now. He was the guy last year, and they shouldn't have gave him that contract. We, we laughed at it. I said, I can't wait for Tim Hardaway to get $80 million from the Pacers. And then he got $80 million from the Mavericks. And now Jalen Brunson's going to be the guy hitting free agency at $100 million. And the Pistons are going to pay him. Or the Knicks are going to pay him $100 million. Cause the, or the, the Sacramento Kings are going to pay $100 million for Jalen Brunson. Because Jalen Brunson's just a volume scorer. Jalen Brunson is a number three on a very good team. And yet, if you have Luka Doncic, he's good enough to be a number two on a team that can make a championship run because the Dallas Mavericks are good enough to make a championship in that Western Conference with just Luka Doncic and competence. The same way Denver was good enough to make the NBA Finals this year with Jokic and competence. Instead, they got Will Barton as their second best player. They just needed competence. I'm not saying Dallas is going to make a championship run. In fact, they lose to Phoenix if Devin Booker is healthy. If Devin Booker is not healthy, Dallas can make a deep playoff run. And that should be exciting for all of us. Not because the Suns aren't great. The Suns are great. It's that we missed it last year. At 22 years old, Luka was a neck, back, and shoulder injury against the Clippers away from making the conference finals. And by the way, the Dallas Mavericks... Still almost won that series, if not for just having Kawhi Leonard. They would have won that playoff series, and they would have had the conference final run the Clippers made last year, and everyone forgets that the Clippers made. We missed out on that last year, a chance to invest in Luka as the face of the next generation. We're already doing some of that with John Morant, and the regular season became all about John Morant because John Morant had the most improved season. Like, John Morant went from being a great player to generational talent at 22 years old. And that's totally fine. John Morant's going to be right up there with his generation's greats. He's going to win an MVP. That's the same way we all fell in love with Joel Embiid during the 2018 season. Luka is special. Luka is his generation's greatest player. And it's nitpicking to say Luka is great, therefore John Morant is less great. It's just a small little sample to have there. Dallas, just they just needed Utah to be Utah. And Dallas pummeled Utah in Game 5. Absolutely destroyed them. Just destroyed the Utah Jazz. Luka in the third quarter had 30, 13, and 5 in the second game he played coming off of injury. Brunson, 24 points. They had Dorian Finney-Smith give you 41 minutes and hit 36% of his shots and 43% of his threes. Oh, it was so funny. It was so funny. And by the way, the Utah Jazz, you know what the Utah Jazz shot from three? 10%. They shot 10%. I have never seen a number that low, and that includes the game that the Houston Rockets shot over 27 from three-point range. They were 3 of 29 for the game. The entire game. 3 for 29 from three. Donovan Mitchell, 0 for 7. Bogdanovich, 0 for 5. Bogdanovich had two fucking points. 
two points. He was over. They were free throws. He did not make a shot from the field. Mike Conley, four points. One for six. Donovan Mitchell, nine points. We crapped on Trey Young for having the worst game of his career in game one against the Heat. He did it again in game four against Miami. He did it twice. Dallas just Dallas put up a fine game, a game that can be replicated. Luka can replicate 33-13-5. And, and he only did it in 33 minutes, by the way. Like, those are numbers that are replicable for Luka. Ute, like, the same way DeRozan putting up 41 was not replicable. Luka didn't have a 45-point game. Jalen Brunson had a 24-point game. This wasn't the 41 Brunson had in Game 2. Like, that's not going to happen. Jalen Brunson's not going to be able to give you 41 again in the series. And they did it without needing anything from Utah. Because Utah played so shit. Jordan Clarkson had 20 points and he was the leading scorer. He still didn't hit a three-pointer. You know who hit a three-pointer for Utah? One from Royce O'Neal. One from Daniel House. One from Juancho Hernan Gomez. That's it. Three for fucking 30 on the game. They shot three for 30 from three. And Utah just blew it. And by the way, I kind of alluded to this the other day, and I want to talk to someone else who's a basketball person about it because I find it interesting. Would you swap Rudy Gobert for for DeAndre Ayton right now? Because that seems like a reasonable swap both sides can make this offseason. Swap Rudy Gobert for DeAndre Ayton. Would be a perfect swap to spice things up for both of these teams. Phoenix doesn't want to pay a giant contract to Ayton. And Utah wants to break up the Donovan Mitchell-Rudy Gobert pairing while not moving towards a rebuild. Seems like that is a match made in heaven for both parties. Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Ayton, straight up swap. Utah, woof. And the beauty for all of us, as long as Dallas doesn't blow it, we're going to get to see a deep playoff run for the Mavericks. We're going to get to see Luka deep in the playoffs, going up against Phoenix. It's going to be really good. Because we all know Luka's really, really good. Watching Luka make a run towards the finals would be really great for investing in the storylines. More people would start to believe that Luka is his generation's greatest player who's going to win MVP upon MVP upon MVP as soon as, and possibly championships. As long, Dallas needs a second star better than Jalen Brunson. Or Luka needs to go to a place with a team of a second star better than Jalen Brunson. Dallas is good enough to compete for a championship simply because they have Luka Doncic. And more people will start to realize that, especially as Luka comes of age over the next couple years. A deep playoff run early will be great in investing in the stakes and storylines over the next 5 to 10 years. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up sometimes on Sundays. Check out our NBA Monday podcast from this week. Check out our memes of the weekend pod. Check out all our stuff from last week around the NFL draft. More NFL draft stuff coming up the next few days because it is draft week. We got to do some NFL draft stuff. 
It's just this is the first time in our podcast history that the NBA playoffs overlap with the NFL draft, and I understand why the NFL draft took a back seat in the past. It was only during the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 when all sports were canceled, and last year when the NBA playoffs were pushed back a month, and it was a really big NFL draft class, that we got super invested in the NFL draft. Now that we have NBA playoffs going simultaneously, the NBA playoffs are slightly more interesting than the NFL draft. Interesting. It's the first time ever in doing a podcast that we've not had the NFL draft exclusively by itself. So we'll do draft coverage the rest of the week. More basketball to come if there's other interesting, fun results. In the meantime, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.